It's a hot mic, so watch what you say. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. I know I should always watch. Um, hope everyone had a great fourth. I know I had a good amount of food. No, Kore no more Korean food. American food all the way for me. Now. All right. Um, but hope, seriously, hope everyone had a good fourth and a good weekend so far. Um, we're coming to James chapter 5. We're bringing it home, the final chapter. Uh, I actually have a title for this message. Um, usually I don't. So it's Be Wise in What You Wish For. So let's go to chapter 5 of James. And we're going to read uh, 11 verses today. So... Uh, James chapter 5, 1 through 11. This is in the ESV. Come now, you rich. Who's rich in here? Raise your hand. Everyone point at the rich person. Oh, we're going to talk to you after. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Not you, literally. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Okay, this is a very interesting change. Where the book of James so far, right? We've covered the character of God. We've covered trials, temptation. We covered, Will did such a good job bringing it home on how we should be careful with the tongue, that not everyone should be a teacher. This is quite a change in his teaching right now as he's addressing the rich. Now, we know in the early church that there weren't a lot of rich people. Uh, the Jews, they at one point, they might have had a lot, but they were overtaken by the Romans. So they knew what it was like to be conquered and not have much and there were wealthy Jews who were taking advantage of other Israelites, right, uh, in, in, in these times. So James, it's, it's just a very interesting change. He's saying, weep and howl. I don't know the last time you have said that to anyone or been told to weep and howl. It's an interesting uh, jargon there that he uses, basically talking about the, a very painful mourning. Like you think of someone when you hear like the, uh, a family member died or you hear like they lost all their possessions. It's this, this, uh, it's this very strong weeping term. And he's saying they're coming upon the rich. So we're going to cover quite a bit today. Um, because the questions that immediately arise will be, is it a sin to be wealthy? It's like, what should we pursue in life? Is the pursuit of riches, is that inherently sinful? There's all these different questions that will come upon us. Um, that will apply to us, and um, he says, your riches have rotted. Uh, will, if you could put up the moth slide. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. How many of you guys knew uh, a moth is not a butterfly? Because if I saw it outside, I can't tell the difference. You, some of you guys are very smart, very smart. Um, if you look at that, uh, it's kind of dim there, but if you look at that picture of the moths, by the way, point uh, the person sitting next to you, point out which one they look like the most. <laughs> Don't do that. That's kind of weird. But um, moths, I found some interesting uh, facts about them uh, online is some of them don't have mouths. So after the larvae, after they become that, they don't live long because they can't eat, right? And some of them, um, I would hate to see that in real life, but some of them are as large as a foot. Like we're, we're known Australia has quite a bit of different critters, animals, but there's a moth in Australia that's about a foot long. So, I mean, I don't care how much you love animals. If you like that, something's off with you. Uh, many different colors. They're known for pollinating like butterflies. Everyone say pollination. pollination. Don't say that to someone this week. You'll probably go to a jail or a <laughs> mental hospital, depending on who I want to pollinate you. So, they're very interesting insects, right? 
interesting bugs. And the thing about moths are, uh, at the, in this time, in the early church, when the Jews were told that your garments are moth-eaten, it, they would, it would resonate. Because moths can eat anything, and they would kind of take over your clothing. When you brought up the word moth, there was an association with the destruction of clothing. Again, the Jews saw a lot of destruction. They were taken over. And that's why they always thought, man, where, where will be that leader that can bring us out of this, this capture from the uh, Romans? So just something about mods. I just thought that was the verse that really stuck out. Going to verse 3. Go back with me in James 5. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Okay, so James is bringing up that there are certain things that people hold to. Definitely clothing is one, right? You, you're, you, every day you judge someone whether you will admit or not based on what they wear, right? I mean, you see uh, what, for example, if you just examine a person, you'll see the shoes they wear. You'll see the shirt or dress. I don't wear dresses, but you can you <laughs> see the shirt, shorts, whatever. They, you, you see their hair. Uh, clothing is important. Because it covers us, right? But, but it, it, it's, all, it's, it's a necessity. Yeah. Same with gold and silver. In, in this time, that would have been uh, an income they used. And something about our country, it is said that if you have almost $100,000, you are like 99% richest group of people in, in the world. Now, I'm not, I, I don't know if everyone has that much, but we definitely have the potential to earn that. In our country, right? Whereas we can earn twenty-five to fifty an hour, right? Just from maybe even with no degree. Yet there are people around the world that maybe make that maybe in a week. So really under-resourced, under-privileged, basically people struggling around the world. And we live in a country where we can easily. I think America makes and generates twenty percent of the income of the whole world. So we're privileged. And he's saying to these people, again, there wasn't too many in his audience that were rich, but this is almost like a prophetic declaration to people who acquire and take advantage of others. He says, your gold and silver have corroded. Now, I am not the biggest science factor, Scientologist, or <laughs> I don't. I know there's no correlation. But gold and silver doesn't easily rust. Okay, It could take years, and you could still have it in almost perfect condition. But what, what is the principle behind this? It's basically saying, you can have gold and silver, you can have clothes, you can gather this up, but what it, to what means? What is your end goal? It says, it will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is a very um, painted image where the Jews would have been um, very familiar with uh, things being burned especially even bodies being burned due to illness when they died. Um, there was also this picture of Gehenna, Hades, hell, where uh, there's this constant picture uh, for those who are basically after, after life, if you're in Gehenna, it's continual burning. It's this, it's this image that the Jews were very familiar with uh, that could point to hell as well. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So going on in verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached 
the years of the Lord of hosts. That Lord of hosts is a very familiar term to the church at this time, uh, talking about how God is unimaginably, uh, uncontrollably so powerful, and that he knows. We might not keep track of the wrong doings that we've done to people, but the Lord knows. And what I've been more careful growing in faith is I've been more and more careful about name dropping. Um, There are obvious people even in our time right now, in this day and age, who profess to be leaders in the church, their ministry, whatever, um, who it seems like their ministries just acquire more and more for themselves. Now, so what I'm saying is I've been more and more careful not to name drop, but it is obvious by the fruit of their ministries if the ministry is really about the Lord and for the church or if it's about themselves. But I'm just saying, just practically, I'm very careful to just say, ah, this pastor, don't listen to him because it's all about him. What can we take from this is we want to be very honest and assess, like for ourselves individually, why, why, why do we have what we have? Is it really for the Lord and his purposes? Are we working and earning? Are we saving? Is it for ourselves only? Is it selfish? Or is it to continue to build up, like we'll just, uh, we'll just said to, I mean, uh, Devante just said, to build up the temple of the Lord. People are taking advantage of other people in the church in this time and keeping it for themselves and letting other people struggle. Not something the church should be known for. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one. He does not resist you. We talked about earlier in James where if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. We also know that, uh, again, going back to verse 5, lived in earth in luxury, self-indulgence. This was a picture they were familiar with like animals that are fattened. You know, you think of a cow, you think of uh, sheep, they're just, you know, they're raised, they're brought up eventually just to be eaten. And he, it was a almost an insult and a rebuke to people who are just fattening themselves up. This is a call to, uh, again, being wise with why we gather what we gather and, and to make sure that that isn't an idol, that that isn't our God, just the pursuit of, especially in this country where it's always about gaining more and more and investing and inheriting. There's such a emphasis on, hey, here's how you can make money. Here's how you can be wealthy. This is how you feel important. Yet James brings up this rebuke of, man, you've really done wrong. He goes as far as to say in verse 6, you have murdered the righteous person. You've taken advantage of them. You've killed them. And, And obviously we we know that there is no one righteous except the Lord. And Jesus himself, when he was being accused and tried, he could have easily, what, easily avenged him mode, gotten rid of anyone, everything, could have taken a different way, but he was faithful to the will of God. He, he was on an assignment. So the first six verses just seem a little off path, but it, it was at this time, it was almost a prophetic rebuke that goes as far as to this day and age. 2,000 years later, these, there's some practical implications in those verses. Again, asking us, we can self-examine and say, what is the pursuit of riches, materials? Who do they benefit? And are they an idol? 
So let's go to verse 7. So he brings up now a charge of wisdom. Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. Even 2,000 years later, the truth is there that Jesus can come anytime. So if the early apostles and the leaders of the church were talking about his imminence in, in his coming, if it was that important, it, it, it's, it still rings true to this day. Like they literally thought any day, every day, the next day, he could come back. So this is a, a, a reminder to also understand, like, man, sometimes we do... <laughs> Sometimes we do certain things as, as Christians, right? We can, we can grumble, we can complain, we can have ill will towards others. It, it, it's a call to like really examine ourselves. Like when the Lord comes, which is imminent, right? Any time, any day, any second, do we want to be gaining things for selfish means? Do we want to be complaining against others? Do we want to be, again, we can easily nitpick what, we should or shouldn't be doing, but how do you want to be when the Lord comes? Would he be pleased at how you're living, what you're pursuing, what you're doing currently? James is reminding them to be patient. Establish a heart's meaning to secure your heart. That's an interesting jargon. We don't usually hear, hey, establish your heart today. But securing your heart. What is your heart being filled with right now? Guys, so... Um, Will, if you could put up the verse that um, in First Timothy, it's not saying, the Bible doesn't say that money itself is the root of all kinds of evil. What does it say? First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I know the word for that is sorrows. This is, a, again, a, a, a truth that having something does not make you evil. But what is the desire? What is your pursuit? Why are you storing? Why are you gaining? What, what are you, what, why are you earning? Like, what is it all for? Going back to verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There's a picture of that in Revelation, that the, Jesus is the judge himself. He is judging the church. He is judging us by how we live. Now, what we know is, for those who have put their faith in Christ, when he comes back in fire and glory, you know, ready to take over and establish his reign, for those in faith in Christ, we don't have to worry about a judgment. Come on. We are, it says there is no more condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there's this understanding, there's this truth that we will still be uh, given in heaven rewards based on how we lived. That some might have one of the best mansions in heaven on that block, and some might have a nice house. Probably because that person with the mansion gave everything up for the Lord. This is why people go on missions, and people who really don't really... It seems like to us, but we're like, man, you don't even have a house here. Man, you don't even have a, 
you don't really have, you don't really seem set. But for those who gave up everything for the Lord, they're going to have the, the most, truly, in heaven. Do, um, going back to verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Who remembers Job in the Bible? If you have, thank you. <laughs> if, if you have read Job, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't. I was not a big Bible fan, so it just seemed like it would be going back and forth between Job and his friends and the Lord. It was a little confusing for for me personally. But we know that Job is a man from the land of us who knew that Job was actually not an Israelite. That's why that's why his book in the Bible is very significant. He was a Gentile. He was like one of us. Yet Job is known as one of the mighty prophets. Like he, he there's so much wisdom that you could unpack from the book of Job. Job was someone who was known for being tested by God and he was given a tremendous pain through boils. He lost his livestock. He lost his family. But what was Job known known for? He was known for being resolute. He wavered, just like any human. He questioned. He was struggling. Who wouldn't have, especially if you're being given all those, again, that, that attack from Satan himself? Yet God used that for the greater good. God blessed him more than ever. Job knew what it was like to have nothing to have been taken everything away from him, yet he gained more, and he was blessed. And all of that was used to build up Job. So again, kind of rehashing what we've gone through. If you have money or if you have some stuff in your house that you might even feel a little guilty about, why? You're not, you're not bad for having certain things. I mean, there, there are sometimes... Some shoes that I see our pastor John wearing where I wish I had, I'm like, oh, that doesn't make him bad he has something, right? Uh, there are some times where, you know, I'll just go out and I'll be like, I, I don't know, there's just, there's these cars and th we, we'll want stuff. And, and I don't judge people if they have a nice car or if they have a vehicle. It doesn't make them inherently bad. But what is the, what is the means? What is the purpose on why we have stuff? Because... There will be no card one day when we graduate from this life where everything we have can be transferred into this card to be used in heaven. No, nothing will be taken. Nothing will be transferred. But how much did you use what God has given you? How much did you use it for the kingdom? Like, were you known for hoarding it in storehouses as James paints that picture? Were you, were you known for like, I don't know if you guys have seen the show Hoarders. It is crazy. Some of the stuff that you're just like, lady, why do you have rooms, garages full of stuff you don't use? Why don't you, why don't you give some of that stuff, clothing or accessories or some equipment that could actually be used for people? I've seen that show and it's giving me nightmares, especially when there's cockroaches running around or around. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Job, the prophet, is brought up in his example of faith, someone who had much, didn't brag about it, and was used tremendously by God and given even more. Look at verse, uh, look at James, Will, if you could put that up, chapter 1 through to 4. 
going back to this verse, some of us might be going through things currently where we're asking, why don't I have this, Lord? And I want this, and you know my heart, it's blameless towards you, but what, I mean, I, I could use this, and it would just fix everything. Some of us might be struggling and might not have much, and we're still waiting for the best thing. So a reminder, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Is there, if there's anything that we could gain in this life, is a faith that, even though it's tested and opposed and tried, especially in a country where everything is like starting to get blurry, the greatest thing we could ask for is a solid faith in Christ right now. Trying to gain stuff, trying to earn stuff is not bad in itself. But if there's anything we could ask for is a perfect faith that we continue to trust the Lord in everything. Another strong reminder in James, the first chapter, James 1.17. Every good and every perfect give is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If you're asking the Lord for something, you can trust that what he gives is good. Like it's meant for you. It's intentional. And sometimes, of course, as believers, whether you're a believer or not, sometimes when we go astray, we can ask for something that we shouldn't have. Hence the title, be careful what you, be, I'm sorry, be wise in what you wish for. Sometimes we're asking for things that we don't even understand the effect. Like, it would actually take us away from the Lord. The greatest thing, last slide, the greatest thing that we can be rich in is love which continues to be our aim and goals as followers of Christ. So bringing it all home, James, in just these short set of verses, that was, again, a prophetic utterance to us in this day and age. As we're working hard, if you're working, if you're serving, do it to the best of your abilities. Like, don't, don't stop. Continue. But what is your intent? What is the end goal of what you have? There's... Three camps according to um, materials. There is something called poverty theology. There's something called prosperity, gospel prosperity theology kind of falls under that. And then there's final this, this final camp called stewardship theology. Now there's extremes in the first two. Some people will literally believe if you have too much, you're going to go to hell. That you're not a believer. Because look at the early church. They had nothing. That, that's what makes them a believer. Some people will teach, hey, you're not, you don't have a lot. You're, you're poor. You have nothing because you're not praying enough. You're not, you're not a true Christian because you look at you. You don't have that. And that is absolutely false. We're not judged by the Lord. We're not rewarded to, according to each one's work at the end of the day by what we had. But again, going back to it, how are we, final camp, stewardship theology, were we good stewards? Did we use what God intended for us the right way? Did we have the right heart for God's gifts? Did we use ourselves for the kingdom, selflessly for others? The final part in James will cover prayer, and it will be practical again, and I'll let John continue that next week. But um, let's prepare our hearts as we go into a new week. 
it's just another Monday. We're working hard. We're, tr- we're trying to, you know, the phrase live the American dream. But let's keep in mind what we, what are we asking for and are we going to use it for God's perfect grace and, and, and God's kingdom. So let's pray.